this is Phoebe. Welcome to Feminine Chaos. This is Cat with a cat, by the way. I don't know if you can hear him. He's he's purring. Um, meow, 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 meow. <laughs> kind of loud. Did you know that cats do not meow at each other? Oh, that's really weird. It is. I, I would have assumed that that was how they communicated. I recently learned this. Yeah, they no cats. Um, they will like yowl or hiss at each other, but meowing is something that they only learn to do because they figured out that human beings react very strongly to it. So cats will meow at their owners, but not at other cats. Interesting. Interesting. Whereas dogs will bark at everything, including things they've imagined. Yes. Yeah, including their own farts. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't bark at your own farts, I assume. No, I, I mean, they never surprise me the way that they seem to do for my dog, who's like kind of horrified, but maybe also a little delighted that this just happened. He's like, I don't understand it, but I love it. <laughs> and they say that dogs and small children are, are different. Anyway, um, so we are going to start this episode um, by discussing canine digestive system. No, I, I could, believe me, I could, given that <laughs> Bizu just got her cone off due to something indirectly to do with her digestive system. But no. Congratulations, Bizu. Yes, we are we are happy about this. But we are also happy to discuss um, our, I was going to say reader, no, our listener, uh, Patri Beckus. Beckus? Bizu? Bizu? I don't know. Patribi, it's his rap name. Okay, so so we did an AMA uh, for subscribers, but we are doing a sort of longer riff on another very specific question because it's just a really, it, it wouldn't be a, a quick hit. There's a lot that we have to discuss, and it also leads to some articles that we have to, um, that we, we agreed with in full, right? Everything we just endorse. Is that right? <laughs> That's why we're discussing those articles. Um, I think that you're going to get us in trouble if you say that, and then we lead into a discussion where we both vehemently do not do that by any definition. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, no, this was this question from Patrie was actually remarkably salient to a couple of things that popped up in the kind of feminine chaos wheelhouse on the internet at the same time. So someone's got their pulse on, the, no, someone's got their pulse. Someone's got their finger on the pulse of the zeitgeist. Someone's got their pulse on the pulse. Their pulse on the finger. Okay, so the question is this. I wanted to ask uh, if you'd be interested to discuss the new friendship, quote, emotional labor economy. I see a lot of people getting guidance from pop psychologists on boundaries and various, quote, scripts on what they should tell their family or their friends, such as, I'm at capacity, which was apparently a viral tweet um, in various situations. Uh, somehow this trend to pull away from your actual relationships coexists. Uh, with the online performance of donating, supporting, quote, local communities and building all sorts of radical collectivities with virtual strangers. So that was the question um, from Petri that we think is rather salient to our purposes. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. I mean, imagine that question being directed at us the very same week that Liz Lenz on her Substack compared a group chat to being part of a life-sustaining commune. Am I getting this quite right? Oh, 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 yes. Here's Liz Lenz, okay. I have a kind of commune, a life-sustaining group chat. We don't live close to one another, but their friendship has fulfilled me and sustained me more than any romantic one ever has or could. Yes, yes, okay. So this was the line. This was the part that was just extremely special. So I want to start with the 
the title though of this entire substack. Okay. So the substack is called Men Yell at Me. Okay. That's that's a substack name. It's almost almost as good as Feminine Chaos, but not quite. <laughs> well, I just I, I sat with that for a while, which makes it sound very like as if I wasn't doing 50 other things and like, oh, look at this funny thing on the internet. But men yell at me is really it's a very it, it places you in this kind of world, a very online feminism from like 2009, I think maybe. I don't know. It's like this idea of. I don't even know what you would call this type of feminism. It's a very specific sort of feminist blog version of things where your courage is that you're an outspoken woman and the men yell at you. And it's, but it's also like all about how men perceive of you, you know? Yes. I think it's also clearly a riff on men explain things to me, which was, you know, sort of a moment yes. in online feminism. So men yell at me is what the the sequel, the son of men explain things or daughter, I suppose. But also what are they yelling? Are they catcalling? Are they yelling, hey, miss, you you dropped your wallet, which is actually this extremely funny um, Victoria Wood stand up comedy routine where there's a man following her around and she's freaking out and then it turns out that she dropped her keys or something it's amazing that's great so maybe that's that's what the man what is the man yelling what is the man yelling or what are the men yelling you're multiple men i don't know i like i mean i like to take it back to the goonies and imagine that the men are yelling hey you guys (laughs) (laughs) well that's problematic to say guys yes hey you late hey lady um, yeah, so the the title of the of the of the um, not podcast. This is a podcast of the Substack of the newsletter is striking me as interesting. But anyway, this but this particular quote to say that your group chat that is not happening that there's no sort of in person version of fulfilled you and sustained you more than any romantic one ever has or could to unpack this could be like a life's work that could sustain me more than anything (laughs) more than oxygen itself. Because what's interesting here, I think is it takes this sort of, again, like very certain era of feminist blogging idea that like friendships that I think actually still lives on that sort of, that it's very modern and progressive to say that friendships are more important than romantic relationships and that romantic relationships have been overvalued and society privileges marriage when really all relationships are equally important. I just want to interject quickly in this dialogue when it's like friendships are more sustaining and more important. It's always subtextually friendships with women. It's never men, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's true. The friendships with women. Yes. Friendships not with cis men, certainly. Um, So I think there's something going on where it's like this takes that idea, but to some sort of absurd level, because, you know, we know the group chat, right? You and I, we are familiar with the concept. But is it the same as being married? Is it? That seems just a little much, but I guess um, takes all kinds. But it's it's this idea that that's also... Um, does it really take all those kinds? Even, even those kinds? <laughs> well, I, I just think there's also... I mean, and then it's the whole idea that, like, wouldn't life be better if we were just all a bunch of women together and no men and none of... It's like, no, we would probably just be a lot of women arguing with each other. Like, Yeah, but, but, in, a, but in a group chat, this is the other thing. <laughs> not, but not even in person. 
right here this is a, a life-sustaining entirely virtual community of people who don't even live close to each other so like could not spend face time meet space time together if they wanted to uh on any regular basis and yet we're supposed to believe that this has fulfilled and sustained the writer more than any romantic relationship ever has or could I think that's fascinating because not only are we talking about speculative romantic relationships, you know, the ones that she might have, and even on that front, I'm kind of like, you know, Liz Lenz, dare to dream a little bigger. You could, in fact, be happy. You deserve it. But this is a woman who was married and that marriage produced children. Yeah. Like, I I don't know. I'm, I'm a little stuck on that. Well, no, see, that, that I'm not so stuck on because I think if... A marriage ends. There must have been something going quite badly. And I could understand sort of revisionist history of it being like that was the worst thing ever and being very down on that and preferring, honestly, like if you're really, really upset with your ex, I could imagine preferring like a fleeting <laughs> reply guy <laughs> to your, you know what I mean? Like, but I think what's interesting is that is what you say, like with the sort of the horizon being so bleak here. But then the, the whole point of the essay is, I suppose, I mean, it's called uh, The Joy of Being Alone and the Tragedy of Heterosexuality. Um, and it's about that, you know, sometimes it's nice to be by yourself, which, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but then the tragedy of heterosexuality is the title of a book that I actually wrote about um, and had a slightly different take on um, in the Hedgehog Review. But yeah, so it's this book by an academic named Jane Ward that's about, it's a book that very much cherry picks the worst aspects of straight people's lives. Have we talked about this on the show before? We did, we did, because uh, okay. it's about um, like the sort of... Heteropessimism? Yes, but it's also the thing with like the penis-shaped birth, not birthday, penis-shaped... Uh, stuff at a bachelorette party, things like that. Oh, and we didn't even plan on talking about penis party favors today. We didn't even plan on it, but it, but it's kind of about that too. But it's about like the shirts, like I'm with stupid. Or I don't even, <laughs> or like, or like the old ball and chain. I'm not really thinking of good examples of this because precisely because I do not think that sort of knickknacks to do with heterosexuality play a particularly large role in the lives of the trillions or whatever of straight people out there <laughs> yeah actually can i tell you a story just like i actually happen to have a relevant story about this kind of paraphernalia go for it so um my husband and i went to a resort in mexico um at one point during the past couple of years and one of the things that, that they had at this resort was when you arrived they give you a straw hat you have a his and hers straw hat they're in your room when you arrive and um there's a thing by the pool at the resort where you can take your straw hat down and get it like emblazoned with a little, I don't know if it's like a, like a felt or like a gel design. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, so a lot of people went to this place on honeymoons and you would see these women by the pool with their hats that said like bride or missus or just married um, or like, you know, they would have like the his and hers hats. Um, so my husband and I, took our hats down to the lady and we we got them we got i'm with stupid <laughs> well you had hats. to i mean you, had to. <laughs> you still have the hat no they got Aww. left they got left behind that's disappointing um, that's disappointing 
it was a good private joke while it lasted. I was wondering whether you were going to say that you got like a penis decal and that that's where the story was going. No, the, that was that was the rose petal design they put on the bed at the end of the day, just like a big rose petal wiener. I no, would I'm hope just kidding. so. That didn't. Uh, <laughs> it should have. I paid extra for that, but it should. <laughs> so yeah, this book by Jane Ward, "The Tragedy of Heterosexuality." What it is is this kind of like it's supposed to be this sort of innovation, like rather than straight people looking at queerness, it's you know queer people looking at straightness, but it's very much sort of attributing like it. It sort of conflates being interesting and having healthy relationships with being not straight um, and having a dysfunctional relationship and um, just generally being extremely basic sort of culturally with being straight, which has some issues. But anyway, this, this um, essay by Liz Lenz very much um, sort of buys into everything that Jane Ward says. And it's, yeah, it's, it's the, it's this sort of feminism of I don't need a man. And it's like, okay, but maybe you want a man because you're straight if you are a straight woman. Not her personally, but in general. And it, I think it goes beyond just, hi, I'm this one person. This is what I want from life, which, you know, again, everybody wants different things from life. But to the sort of, this is the true feminist message is, you know, women going their own way. Right, right. It's interesting how this is received as versus the male counterpart, which strikes people as terrifying um, and mm. you know perhaps even aggressively so. Well, that's why I I intentionally said women go in their own yeah. way because I was thinking about the that it's yeah huh. Um, this actually uh, this is a very all over the place podcast for which I apologize because I feel like it's mostly my fault. But um, this also reminds me of something that I'm ab- about to write uh, about that guy Chris McCandless who died in the wilderness in Alaska back in the 90s and um, how his story is kind of an example of like something that now gets described as toxic masculinity. It's like this sort of like man going into the wilderness to push himself to the limits and survive. And um, there's no place for that anymore in the culture, even though a woman doing the same thing, like going to survive on her own in the woods would be seen as very brave and very heroic. I'm curious about this because men can't, (laughs) men can't even be survivalists on their own anymore in this world. and it's, it's it's true, you know, it's it's seen as, I don't know, like an abdication or like a form of selfishness. Well, the woman is home, home making all the meals for him that he comes home to have, I assume, every evening. Well, that is the thing, right? I mean, okay, so now that we actually are talking about this, this notion of a, a man going his own way and sort of the, the way that we've come to look on that with scorn. And even in this way where there's this desire to kind of undercut that narrative, for instance, I remember like a few years ago, it suddenly became a big thing to kind of neg Thoreau. Yes. You're like, oh, you know, when he was on Walden Pond, like his mom did his laundry, that kind of right. thing. Right. Like he wasn't even really roughing it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I it's I, I guess that men are sort of damned if they do, damned if they don't. Like if they remain close to home and remain in, in you know, sustaining relationships with the women in their lives um you know if they allow their mom to like cook them dinner at the end of their day in the wilderness then that's toxic masculinity and selfish and and you know he's like a big faker and a poser but if they abdicate all contact with anyone and go off and 
like live in an abandoned bus in the Alaskan wilderness for many months on end and then make a grave mistake eating a seed that contains the wrong amino acid that causes their body to shut down and end up starving to death out there in the wilderness, then that too is seen as an example of toxic masculinity. So I don't know. But I guess this is a game that's not winnable for guys anymore. Well, you you say that, but then what I found interesting at the end of this um, essay we're talking about, it says further reading. And this I think I might have laughed out loud. It says, okay, further reading. I loved this Bloomberg look at how hard it is to be a woman. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it starts. Oh, boy. (laughs) I didn't even click on the link. I I don't know. You know, I didn't click that link, but I did just highlight it. And I can see that the uh, the slug line says, road decision epitomizes increasing burnout among women. And you know what? I'm going to do myself a favor and just not click on that link because... But then I, I did click on another link as we both did, which was, okay, and a person who is part of my community is Anne Helen Peterson. I think a lot about her, this is, I'm quoting the essay, I think a lot about her writing, about how she shows up for the children of her friends. Okay. So we clicked on that link. We did. We did. And I just want to once again congratulate our commenter, Patri, on... I don't know, like, is is he actually lurking somewhere inside the walls of the place where we record? Like, is, is he in the room with us right now? Because all of this stuff is so salient to this question about kind of leaving behind your meat space relationships or coming to see them as a drag on your time and energy and instead investing yourself in these sort of like parasocial public online relationships where there's a lot of sort of performance of being involved. Wait, is Patry a man or a woman? God, that's a good question. Have I been... I just Googled the name and I, I'm not sure if this is a man's name or a woman's name or or it could be either, perhaps. I don't know. Patry. Okay, I'm going to go and retroactively... Um, degenderize all, all my comments. I'm just gonna I'm gonna bleep out every time I said he or she. Kind of make some sort of boing sound. God, this is this is awkward. Anyway. But, you know, I I feel like both of these essays, both Liz Lenz's and and Helen Peterson's, just really epitomize kind of where you end up, where you sort of retreat from your real life relationships, which are, you know, a drain on you and they're toxic, hence, right? Because, you know, they're, they're taking something from you. Emotional labor. Yes, exactly. And instead, you're doing this thing where you're mostly on the internet and mostly having relationships on the internet. Yes. And in the sort of, I feel like also a kind of like, in a very fleeting way on the internet often, it seems. But um, this is, yeah, so the Anne Helen Peterson one. So as I understand it, some of her kind of beat on her newsletter is about sort of like, telling parents, maybe especially mothers that she knows how hard they have it. So she is not herself a parent, but like she knows. And I I have seen on the internet, some people who are parents saying sort of like, what is she talking (laughs) about a little bit? But in any case, this might be an example of this. So how to show up for your friends without kids and how to show up for kids and their parents, AKA how to be in a community. So what does this mean? It means something? Uh, Well, I don't know. I mean, it means 
there's a lot of words in this essay, but my take my takeaway from it, which I think was different from your takeaway from it, because we kind of got bogged down in different parts. But th- this was basically a list of instructions and in how to be normal, mm-hmm. and um, and that sort of is the is the takeaway. It's like just be normal, spend spend time with people, listen when they talk. Um, you know, share parts of your lives with them, be willing to consider the experiences and perspectives of other people when you're, for instance, trying to make plans with somebody who has small children, like don't try to do that right at bedtime. Um, and that This is actually a good example of something that I was just sort of stunned to realize that people would need instruction in. This was in the list of things that you can do as a child-free person. There are these bulleted lists um, of, you know, little like advice tidbits. It says, if you're ch- if you're a child-free, that's probably a typo. If you're child-free, here are some ways that you can show up for your friends with kids. Understand that even though it's annoying when parents assume your life is completely flexible, you do have more flexibility than pretty much all parents. Sometimes showing up for my parent friends means I can't have the routine that I like to unwind or that I eat dinner at 5 p.m. You can maintain some of your own boundaries and preferences while also knowing when and how to bend them. I'm just kind of... I'm going to be all over the place trying to talk about this, but the idea that spending time with your friends who have small children means that maybe you can't have the routine you like to unwind or that you might have to eat dinner at like a different hour if you're eating with a family than than you might otherwise who is this news to who needs to know this that is a good question, but I think it already, it's like the the problem already begins with the sort of show up for. It's like the whole thing turns human interaction into some kind of weirdly like sort of political project, you know? Like it's not just have friends, be respectful of y- your friends and they should be respectful of you, which is like, yep. <laughs> but, you know, it turns, and then I think that's where you get to this item four, bourgeois American culture and white supremacy are all about the myths of self-reliance and perfection. I don't even know. Like, okay. Yeah. This entire essay is so steeped in a very particular type of language and a very particular way of talking about relationships that feels like it came out of like some kind of training slash struggle session at a nonprofit for, I don't know, doing some kind of like civic good and not out of like the actual warm, messy, you know, and, and fun and like feelings driven engagement that we have with other human beings. It's so like, there's all of this decentering and show up for and it doesn't feel human is, I guess, the thing that I am getting very stuck on. To me, this really is part and parcel with the whole like making it all political, like that there's something political happening by like the minute you leave the nuclear family and have any sort of other interactions and bonds that you're doing something subversive, you know, and really sticking it to the man and that it's like anti-capitalist somehow when it's like, all you're doing is you have friends like it doesn't I don't know that seems a little a little odd and then this whole thing about people about so this I thought was amazing sorry but just I have to to just continue with the white supremacy section because there's a part that's just I can't handle it okay 
So this is very much, okay, so just, I'm going to preface this by saying, I find this to be very much like this genre of writing that's like trying to be inclusive, but then acting like everybody who's not a middle-class white person must be some sort of strange species type writing. But anyway, so I'm going to read from the piece. Okay. So many parents told me they shied away from, sorry, they shied from inviting people over to their homes or even within proximity of their kids. They were embarrassed by their messes, embarrassed of their children's behavior, embarrassed by their lack of routine. I get it. (laughs) Parents are shamed in so many ways in our culture, and it almost always comes from other parents, particularly bourgeois white parents. Okay, now. What? (laughs) I just can't even... I can't even make sense of this. Like, I think that, you know, children acting out and parents feeling awkward about this. How is this specific to any race, any social classes? Doesn't make any sense that this would be or mess. You know, the idea that like, oh, it's it's bourgeois people who don't want to have a messy home. Like what? I don't know. This just seems like very odd. Like human behavior is especially the case when it's white people. (laughs) They're bourgeois. (laughs) I don't know. To me, this just seems very strange. Bourgeois. It just seemed like there's a certain sort of person who opens an article that has in italics bourgeois white parents. And it's like, oh, yeah. Yes. We need to identify a bad guy. And Mm -hmm. and that's that's the one. Right. Yeah, but it just doesn't make any sense. Like, I, I just didn't understand that. And then the other thing I, I found myself thinking is sort of like a, a bit of a meta point. But here's a way to show up for your friends with small children, not write a, like an epic. <laughs> if you have small children, no way did you get to the end of this. Yeah. How many kids could Anne Helen Peterson have played with? It, I, well, that sounds bad. <laughs> But how many families with small children could she have shown up for using the time that she spent to write this like manifesto? Well, yeah, that's actually so this this is a really good point you make. And it's it's making me think of just this general thing. Like, so I wrote once for my own newsletter about the concept of very online. And I think that there is something uh, sort of this tone, this conversational style that exists online, where it's like, hyper moral moralizing where somebody's just like their their role is you know they are the good person they teach you how to be a good person and they're not it's not even explicit they're not like an advice columnist or anything like that they're just simply like that is of course their state it's like a stance you know what i mean like a way of being on the internet being this guide to how to be a good person and I think you see this a lot with like tipping discourse where it costs nothing to go on the internet and announce that it's important to always tip 30%, you know, on a latte or whatever, things like that. And I think that this comes very much out of that line of thought, like using the internet to just kind of show that you know how to be a good person and imply that other people don't. And even in this case, as you say, even just how to be sort of a normal person. Right. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if this is part of this split that I've observed happening kind of more broadly, but especially a surrounding, for instance, like COVID discourse, where you get these bubbles where you've got a bunch of people who basically don't know how to be normal and they're online all the time because they don't know how to be normal. Like they're, you know, there is no, there is no kind of going outside and touching grass for them the way there is for your average person. And so they gather together and they kind of feed off of each other and, and, you know, create this, um, 
really tempestuous, really shrill environment in which it's just like, it's all about kind of endlessly shouting and performing and trying to outperform each other in your knowledge of how to be a human being correctly. And Mm -hmm. in the meantime, everybody else is outside, like everyone's outside having fun. Nobody knows this is going on except the people who are in in this bubble, engaged in this bubble, shouting inside this bubble. And so you have this like this invisible universe of, for lack of a better word, weirdos yelling and and posturing and I mean, ostensibly also, I guess, learning from each other how to eventually be normal in their offline life that they don't have. But there's such a divide and I don't know how bridgeable it is between people who behave this way online and who spend a lot of time behaving this way online and people who are like hanging out in real life with a big mixed group of friends. Or not even a big mixed group of friends who are just kind of leaving the house. Like I, I get the sense that there are people who truly, and I think you're right to bring up COVID because I think this has really been kind of now it's not just being a shut-in, it's being a shut-in for a purpose. There are people who are who will tweet something like, I have been in a room with people now, it's happened. <laughs> or, or who eventually, like, where they get COVID after, like, years and years of not getting it, you know, and it's like, rather than simply being like, oh, this sucks, you know, it's like, like, their purity has been shattered. And, like, we've talked about this also, yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. And I mean, the thing that, and this this isn't just true of this piece, it's true of a lot of the stuff that um, Anne Helen Peterson writes or the things that she tweets where, you know, she, there is this um, sort of deep contempt apparent in a lot of her work for people who, you know, for instance, for like bourgeois white women, um, especially bourgeois white women who perhaps voted Republican. And I do think that there's something very fundamentally at odds about that, about approaching other people that way with this baseline contempt based on the notion that they might not, you know, think the way you do politically and like showing up to use the lingo in real life for your community. I mean, unless you've managed to somehow cultivate a community in which everybody is politically aligned with you in every way and that's like when you go outside and touch grass that's who you're touching grass with you're surrounded just by people who like vote and think and and feel the same way on all the issues as you do then you've already failed you know like you you can't be this way to people and also expect to form intimate and trusting and rewarding and self-sacrificing relationships with them. Well, you're also promoting, I think, in this particular case, a world where the likes of you should not be considered very appealing to be friends with. You know what I mean? Like, if you're a bourgeois white woman who hates bourgeois white women and who sort of agitates against the bourgeois white woman, I mean, I guess at the same time, that seems to be very much like that is its own clique, right? That's its own world. And like a group of white women getting together to talk about how awful white women are is a thing. What is it called? That happens. Is that the something, a complaint? Is that the complaint of Karens? A complaint of Karens. But I mean, they're complaining about the Karens. Yes. So I don't know. I mean, okay. So 
I don't want to keep like calling out Anne Helen Peterson because this isn't really like about her personally. It's more about a, a particular approach. Um, but, you know, but she is one of these people who, you know, at the same time as she's penning this manifesto about how showing up for people, part of being part of a community is to, um, it, well, I'm just going to quote her. She says, it requires bravery and vulnerability and intermittent tolerance for people being annoying and practice. Okay. People being annoying was the part that really stuck with me because in the rest of her work, one of the things that Anne Helen Peterson refuses to practice is tolerance for people being annoying if they're being annoying in a way that she finds politically inconvenient. You know, if you're a white woman who's saying that the economy is a concern for her in the upcoming election, um, Anne Helen Peterson has no tolerance for you. You're a white woman considering voting Republican. Anne Helen Peterson has no tolerance for you. And I think it's hard to, to square, on the one hand, this call for like bravery and vulnerability and tolerance with, on the other hand, these calls to basically get in the faces of people who, you know, that you're not allowed to be complacent or, or tolerant when it comes to somebody whose political values are slightly different from yours? It's tricky. It's tricky. I don't know. I think it's, um, I think it does actually all really come back though to Patry's question about the, the sort of intense, like this divide. I, I'm having trouble finding words for this because it is like, it is sort of a stance is the only way I can put it of like this being hyper gentle, hyper sensitive, hyper kind, hyper sort of performatively all of these things, right? But that's paired with, on the one hand, being um, sort of hostile, perhaps in real life, but certainly online to people with different views, but also being kind of generally like hostile towards in real life interaction at all, which certainly with COVID, yeah, then there's that extra layer, um, layer or triple layer, perhaps, depending which mask we're talking about. Yes. I'm starting to think that maybe encouraging people to invest so much of their energy into maintaining relationships via the intermediary of a screen was not a good idea. It's possible. You might you might just be onto something there. So the other thing, too, is that I, I do think both of these pieces really reflect what's described here, um, what Patri identifies as the online performance of donating, supporting, quote, local communities, unquote, and building all sorts of radical collectives, collectivities with virtual strangers. Ultimately, these clarion calls to, you know, to build community exist in a space where they're going to only be consumed by the extremely online, you know, that's the audience that, that both of these women have cultivated. That's the audience that's going to read this work. And where are they going to take this advice, even when it's good advice? You know, it gets invested in a way that's very kind of public facing. Um, it reminds me of the thing, yeah, you know, where people would donate and then post the receipt showing that they donated, you know, like the reason to do it was so that you could say you did like the reason to show up to a protest march was so you could be photographed there. And it was like that. And that was your excuse also for social gathering, right? You had to have this sort of social justice oriented reason for leaving the house and gathering with people because otherwise leaving the house and gathering with people was literally killing grandma. 
But I don't think that this was new to COVID. I think that COVID just exacerbated a direction that we were already maybe moving in. What does this all mean for, you know, how do, how do we tie this back into your favorite topic, which is, um, you know, heterosexual women? What does this mean for them? How do you be a heterosexual woman in the world? I think you just, you have to just renounce it, you know, and you, you <laughs> suffer, you suffer, you complain about it, you call it tragic until you meet a man you are happy with and then you never, and then you write the nevermind essay. What's the nevermind essay? Well, you just say like, never mind. I'm happy now with a man. It's fine now. Or, or no, but there's more hand wringing. There has to be hand wringing. Like Jane Eyre? Sure. <laughs> you, you go, you go through it. And then eventually you're like, reader, I married him. Exactly. Okay. Uh, well, do you have anything else to say about our, uh, our essays at hand here? No, I don't. But I see that there are people mad at me on the internet for an article I wrote. What? This, Which I wrote, I wrote about, um, so there's this meme online that kind of fits with what we're talking about, but I don't think we should, we don't have to dwell on it. But anyway, about the, um, where there's like the statistic of how many women over 45 use antidepressants. And this became like this meme. And for years now, it's been this like meme online where people are just obsessed with it and saying like, see, and it's like, but, but see what, you know, it's sort of often unspecified, but it's kind of. The idea is that like feminism um, caused them to be miserable or something. But anyway, people seem very mad at me in comments about this. I will have to find out why. That'll be something. So you're saying they're sh- they're showing up for you. But... They're showing up for me virtually, <laughs> but not not in the way you would prefer. They're being very disrespectful of your routine. Your kid needs to nap. You don't have time for this. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah. Anyway, I think I'm gonna have to not touch some grass a little bit. I think. Ooh, okay. I think our takeaway is that you should just never talk to anybody in person ever again. And that if you want to yell at somebody, you have a choice between Twitter and article comments. Yeah, yeah. The future is female, but it's also completely online in a group chat that is functioning as a commune and where many of the participants may or may not be bots. Perfect. Oh, we should probably mention the Substack. Oh, right. Um, if you enjoyed this conversation, please consider joining Feminine Chaos as a paid subscriber on Substack at femchaospod.substack.com. For $5 a month, you can receive early access to our public episodes, uh, access to a lovely community of, well, not like-minded, but extremely chaotic fellow subscribers, and exclusive content just for our premium subscribers. That's right. Hope and, you join us. And that's that. Uh, this has been Feminine Chaos. Oh, yes. Thank you for joining us. Bye. Bye.